since you are basically the spokesperson for all the franchises across the country. We're going to have a great conversation. All right. Everyone ready to rock? Yeah. Looking forward to it. All right. Let's go. Welcome to Find Your Freedom, the best entrepreneurship podcast. Our guest today is Leslie Cuban. Leslie has entrepreneurship in her DNA. Well, growing up, she learned business from the inside as her family ran everything from a photo finishing shop to sign production. Now, as president and co-founder of FranNet, she helps entrepreneurs find their freedom through matching them with diverse and immense franchise opportunities. She's hosted a TV show, publishes for the Business Journal, and has a passion for getting entrepreneurs' feet wet. Doug and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. We value your time, and our goal is to provide you with the best information possible. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support us is to take a second right now to like, subscribe, and follow us on all our socials. Also, we know you have an aspiring entrepreneur in your life. Please share your favorite episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast with them. Thank you so much. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome to Find Your Freedom, the best entrepreneurship podcast. Leslie, we're so happy to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our conversation. All right. So, Leslie, let's jump right in here. Welcome. Uh, here's an interesting stat I was blown away by. There are an estimated 750,000 franchise businesses across the U.S. Now, let's start with a bang. What is the craziest story you have experienced in the world of franchise? Well, I'd, I'd like to talk about um, just a really, I don't know if it's crazy, but it's inspiring. That works. And what made it uh, come to mind, just last week, I had a conversation with a client that I helped into business 20 years ago. And it's kind of an interesting full circle story. Uh, he, way back then, um, he and his father were looking to buy a business together. And they're both, you know, they're both seasoned executives, you know, high income, you know, earning gl- global leaders and what they were doing. And, and, you know, they wanted a family business that could support all of them. So they came to us. It's like, you know, is there really anything in franchising that could support, you know, two families that are used to executive level compensation? And, 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 you know, what they landed on was a commercial cleaning franchise, which, you know, I can tell you right now, nobody comes into my office saying, if today's my lucky day, I'm going to be in a toilet cleaning business and other people's office buildings. <laughs> yeah, that's not and the top, so, probably the not, not the top request. No, no. <laughs> so they were like, really? And, um, and not only that, but, but somebody else had owned that franchise in their market previously and failed with it. And so, okay. you know, other people had looked at this business, but it's like, well, somebody failed. There must be something wrong with the market, something wrong with the brand, you know, all these reasons why that would not be an opportunity to look at. But these guys did. They didn't let that, um, you know, somebody else's lack of success cloud their vision of what their success could be with the business. And fast forward 20 years later, they own five markets. They're expand. They're acquiring others. I mean, this is a, a, a megalo multi-million dollar operation now, far surpassing kind of what they had envisioned at the onset. And they were looking big. They were thinking big at the onset of all of this. And granted, this is you know, 20 years later, but they have built a true empire in, uh, in janitorial, com- commercial janitorial services. What Im- impressive foresight they had. <laughs> <laughs> they saw something where nobody else did and... You know, that's a big part of, of what entrepreneurship is, I think. And um, the other thing that, that seems to come up quite a bit is um, you don't know what you can accomplish over a 10, 20 year period. I think a lot of people come into entrepreneurship and want to be an overnight success. And, um, you know, usually doesn't work that way. But if you grind at it for 10, 20 years, amazing things can happen. Now, uh, we digress. So what is, in your words, what does a franchise even mean? Can you explain that? Uh, for our audience, so I think I think a good place to start is is just ha- some basic definitions. So, so in any franchise relationship, there are two parties. There's the franchisor, and the franchisor is the parent corporation, the mothership, you know, founded by an entrepreneur and grown their company, and then realized they want to scale their business with other entrepreneurs who are the franchisees. So. 
there's a basic exchange between the franchisor and the franchisees. The, fr- the franchisor has developed a successful business model in an industry. They've packaged it in a way that somebody else who probably doesn't know anything about that business can learn that new business via a playbook, via a detailed step-by-step with all the vendors in place, all the, the way you market that business, the way you hire employees. I mean, good franchise systems are offering a very sophisticated and detailed execution plan for somebody who's never been in that business, never been in own their own business period before in many cases, to be able to, in, in a pretty predictable way, get up and running and, and hit benchmarks of success in a predictable manner. So the beauty of franchising is, ta- is, is, is taking guesswork out and unpredictability out of starting a new business. And the exchange is, I mean, you pay for that. So there are franchise fees, there are upfront fees, there are ongoing fees that a uh, franchisee would pay to the mothership, the franchisor. So, so that's the basic definition is um, if I'm buying a franchise, I'm paying a one-time upfront fee. I'm committing to standards as to how to run my business. And there are ongoing fees that I'm also contractually committed to pay to the franchisor. So that's kind of the basic business exchange there. Got it. Okay. Now, um, talk to us about what you do with, uh, with FranNet. I know you, you uh, focus a lot of your time on in the franchise world. What do you, what do, you do with FranNet? So FranNet is a national organization, international organization. Uh, we've been in business for 35 years. I've been a member of the group for 24 years. And we're a coast-to-coast network of very experienced franchise consultants. Many of us have owned franchises, been executives of franchise companies. And now we help other people learn how to be successful as franchise owners. So the, the simplest way I can describe our, our process with people is um, our clients are usually people who've never owned their own business before. They're oftentimes corporate managers, corporate executives, maybe families looking to start a business together. But they're raising their hand and saying, I know I, know I, I, know I want to own a business, but I don't know what. Like I'm not married to having a business in this certain kind of industry. I just know that I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to have my be my own boss and grow something that's mine, do something that I enjoy and that I'm proud of and gives me a lifestyle that I'm looking for. So we help people look at the world of franchise opportunities and identify the specific franchise opportunities that best align with their lifestyle goals, with their career goals, with their income needs. So that's a very long way of saying we're matchmakers. <laughs> Doug threw a crazy stat out when we first started that there's over 750,000 franchises. And it just blows me away when we saw that number because no one talks about really the franchise world. You see them everywhere you drive around your city. Um, and people are obviously running those. But I don't know in my you know 20 years in business that I've actually ever spoken to someone who was talking about the franchise thing. The 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 one example that I have was I watched the 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 show Fran- uh, Founder about McDonald's um, just uh, on Netflix I think maybe a couple weeks ago. And it was almost in preparation for this because I I think that gave a, a little bit of a sneak peek behind. I was wondering if you could tell us just a little bit about that world? I mean, the number's huge. Um, how realistic was that movie if you did see it? And if not, it sounds like your um, your initial description is that the franchises are basically giving you the playbook and then you're paying a fee for that playbook, but it's kind of a safety net for people who haven't done this before. Can you give us a little bit more color around all of that? Absolutely. Well, and and you've touched on something that I find as part of my conversations with people every single day. So when we hear franchise, we think franchise, you think we're going to be talking about food and restaurants and fast food, right? right? Yeah, Domino's yeah. is what comes to mind right. for me, like Domino's, yeah. McDonald's. Yeah. Every, and, and every Subway, Arby's, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A. I mean, that it's like it's right. like the immediate assumption is we're going to be discussing something in food service of, of some kind. And um, that number that you saw, that's franchise units that are out there. So I'm going to give you right. a different number. So in North America, the United States and Canada, there's roughly 4,000 franchise brands. 
So 4,000 franchise brands amounting to 750,000 franchise units in the United States and Canada. So that's an important distinction. It, it is. So, so there's, you know, cause, cause one brand might have two franchises. Another brand might have 40,000 franchises right. worldwide. Absolutely. So I think that's a, right. something I would distinguish, but of those 4,000 brands, about half of them are hospitality related. So, gotcha. and that's the very visible part, but then there's the whole other half, which is very, you know, people are so surprised at what is out there in the world of franchise opportunities. I'm, I helped a client um, just choose a parking lot striping business that's a part of a franchise. A franchise that does parking yes, lot striping. Yes, parking lot striping. Wow. Yes. Interesting. Yes. That's um, one you wouldn't expect for sure. Right. There's, um, you know, there, there's a franchise brand in, um, in 3D printing. So... There's uh, franchise brands in, um, in mobile trash compaction. There's franchise brands in IT, in professional marketing services, in staffing services, so in healthcare. Um, one of the more popular franchises I helped people choose a couple years ago was in physical therapy. And the franchise owners are not doctors. They're not physical therapists. They're business people who own these businesses. So people are pleasantly surprised usually at what's out there um, and what kind of industries that you'll find that have nothing to do with food. Right. Now, many of, uh, many of the, the folks watching our show and um, trying to learn about business and entrepreneurship are unfulfilled in their cor corporate jobs and looking for something bigger and better, something that will support their goals and their vision for their long-term future. Now, what are some of the benefits of franchising that they ought to consider? So there's kind of two parts to that. There's owning your own business, and then there's doing so through a franchise system. But I think, you know, you know, the reason people look to own their own business is they want to have an income stream that they control and they own. Um, I know, you know, people getting laid off is very much in the headlines right now. That's always been true. I mean, there's been cycles of That's that. That's a great point. But, yeah. um, you know, a lot of people look to entrepreneurship, business ownership, just for more control and stability over their household income. And people will look mm -hmm. to develop a business that they're the ones making the decisions um, that, that impact the stability of, of income coming into their household. You know, a lot of people want to have better control over their lifestyle. I've worked with a lot of folks who have been road warriors and they're having to get back to that and, and they don't want to do it. So they, they wanted to develop a business where they're managing their flexibility and their schedule better with the commitments that they have in their, their personal life. So, and the reason to consider doing all of that through a franchise is a little bit about what we talked about earlier that many of these franchise brands, they may have been in business for 5, 10, 15 years, developing their systems, developing their processes, really in a very sophisticated way, refining all the different moving pieces that make that whole business work so that someone who's never owned their own business before and is completely new to, to the industry of the franchise can learn something with a, in a relatively short period of time with relatively few mistakes. Now, mm. the franchise doesn't run your business for you. You know, you run your business and right. there's always a learning. You still have to hire your own employees. Yes. Yes. You still have to manage them. Yes. You still have to manage your own inventory. All of that. And, and, and the buck does stop right. with me or you, you know, an individual franchise right. business owner. But um, you know, some of these franchises that are, that are, I mean, they're so sophisticated that someone is able to get a business open much faster than they could if they're trying to figure out the real estate. They're trying to figure out, you know, what IT partner do I use? What marketing vendors should I use? You know, where am I going to get my inventory and supplies for my business? So strong franchise systems, they have that all lined up so that a new business owner is able to walk into that day one. So it can dramatically decrease the setup time of getting that business going. And, you know, a, a lot of the way we learn is through mistakes. So through the refinement of those business systems, the franchisor has figured out how not to do things. So it also can right. be a way for a new entrepreneur 
to do this, but, but mitigate the risk. You know, there's some things that, that the franchisor can tell them right away. We've already been down that road. Don't spend money on that. Don't put your energy into that. Put your energy over here. And that will dramatically incre- increase your success rates in your new business. That's super. Yeah, that's super insightful. Um, and you st- spoke about mistakes there um, for a second that the franchises have experienced. Um, I've read through your background and you were basically born into franchises. It's in your DNA. It's in your blood. Um, what is the number one thing that you wish that you could tell first-time entrepreneurs or tell yourself when you were first starting your um, your your first jaunt out into it? What, what are some of the mistakes that people make early on that you think, hey, don't do this. Here's the top two things that people mess up on when they're starting their first uh, franchise. I think there's a couple of low-hanging fruit items there. Um, number one is when I look at the success, when I looked at my, part of why I was successful was because I, I'm kind of inclined to marketing. I love marketing. I love sales. And so that was something I naturally focused on. Um, other people don't. And I see a big difference in early success on people who in their business, I mean, there's a million things that you have going on in your new business, including any, any right. franchise, but the people who prioritize their marketing and lead generation and customer acquisition activities and spending have a big, I mean, much more successful start than people who focus on other things. I mean, there's a million things to do. So that's super interesting. Yeah, there's so many things going on. So you're think one of the core success traits would be having a marketing and sales, um, not really experience, but um, a passion about that to where you're going to make that a priority that that's one of the most critical pieces. Yes, it's it's forcing yourself to make that a priority over some other things that are also priorities. And yeah, it's not like you're gonna let anything drop. You're not gonna let anything drop. But some of the things you have to put a little bit more time to that makes perfect sense. But but also kind of hand in hand with that. And this was my mistake early on was trying to do everything myself. So and and now there's so much there's so many tools and resources for virtual help locally and on the other side of the world, that this is something that I coach, you know, people that I'm working with, is you know really consider getting some outsourced administrative help right away, like even even if it's five to ten hours a week, you will find plenty of things for a part time virtual assistant to do, and it might be helping you with stuff in your personal life that you know can go by the wayside because you're busy starting your new business. So um, you know that was something um, I I didn't hire any administrative virtual help until I was eight years into my business. And, and I, I really had some serious, you know, potential, I mean, real burnout phases in the first, you know, 10 years of, of my business. And then boy, life changed when I finally hired a virtual assistant, just, it was 10 or 15 hours a week, but it made a world of difference. So I, I would say looking for ways to delegate immediately rather than waiting like I did you know, years into the future, will A, you know, allow you to spend your time on the productive stuff and also just save right. yourself a lot of stress and, and heartache of trying to do too much that, that is just unrealistic for any new business owner to take on. You know, I think it's, um, it's really difficult, I think, sometimes to give up your work and um, thinking, oh, is a, is a virtual assistant going to be able to do this the way that I do or do it the way that it needs to be done so it's done correctly and done properly? And um, what you find is, yeah, a lot of them can if you train them properly, <laughs> if you give them correct instructions to work with up front. I remember my uh, business partner, he would harp on me nonstop, like, Doug, we got to get this work over to the VA. We started using this. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the base camp. Mm-hmm. And um, there was all these great VAs that he was working with and handing off work to. And and it, for me, it was so hard. It took so much time before I finally said, let me try giving them this little thing. And then before you knew it, it was part of what we did, him and I, and, and our, our uh, team members as well, finding tasks to, to give off to the, 
to the uh, virtual assistant. It's one of my favorite things to do is to hand something off that I don't have to do anymore. And, and the reality is nine times out of 10, they can do it better than I can. Yes, it becomes addictive, really. I mean, in the beginning, it's so hard to give it up. But then once you do and see how well it goes, yeah, it becomes addictive. Um, could you talk a little bit about your transition from running the franchise to helping new franchisees in their path to, to uh, freedom? Sure, sure. And um, it, it is kind of an interesting transition. So my, you know, I, I, as we talked a little bit about earlier, I've been involved in franchising since I was eight years old. My dad left the corporate world and, and bought a business as part of a franchise. And then our family was involved in several in my growing up years. But then my first um, you know, franchise that I was the owner operator of was a UPS store franchise in Atlanta, although this is back in the 90s. So it was called Mailboxes, et cetera, back then. Um, yeah. And then UP, yep, yep. And then UPS bought the whole company about 20 years ago. And I did very well with that. I, I grew that business. I ultimately sold it. And I, I did well with it. But the, tr truthfully, I, I was getting pretty bored with that business. And I got bored pretty quickly with it. I, I didn't, I, I, what, what, I ha what, what happened was I, I took over a struggling existing location. It was like, it's in my neighborhood. You know, this is something that I can learn. I'm in my mid-20s. You know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of business maturity behind me yet. And so I think, you know, my, my naiveness about that helped me a little bit in the end. But I just kind of dove right into that. But I didn't sit down and think about, well, what would the ideal business be for me? Like, have I really made a list of the qualities of, of the right, the perfect business for me? I didn't do that. And so fast forward, the FranNet organization um, got in contact with me and my father uh, in 1999. And I learned that that's exactly what FranNet consultants do, is they take people through a very thoughtful process of, before you go out and look at a bunch of franchises, define what you want for your life and for your career and your own business. And that makes the whole process of filtering through all these 4,000 choices out there a whole lot easier. So, so when I made the transition, the, what, what this matching process does for people, it really struck me because I didn't do that. And I clearly, I had, I had a good experience. I was successful, but if you were to, if I'm going to map out what the perfect big business is for me, it's not a UPS store. Nothing, wrong, right. nothing wrong with it. It's just not the best fit for my talents, my personality, you know, what, what I like to do. So that's why I, I just got it. I'm like, wow, that is such a cool service to help people be really thoughtful about choosing a business so that they'll choose it for the right reasons and not some perception of what that business is really all about. I can see like the massive value in that just from this short conversation, because um, you can you can just see how many how many opportunities out there that people wouldn't even know about. You've already listed a bunch of companies. I was like, how is that even a franchise? <laughs> but to be able to to have someone help you who knows all the different franchise opportunities pair you with what your skill set is, what your passions are, potentially what your experience already has been in business. That seems like a completely invaluable thing to have. Um, this is something you're going to be paired with. I don't know what the average amount of time people run their own franchises is like five years or 10 years or 20 years before they look to make an escape? It's all over the board. So I, I would say, so franchises have terms to their agreements. So it's a, an average term to the franchise agreement is 10 years. And- Oh, that's another great stat. <laughs> yeah, and and you know I've seen people like, like the story I told you earlier, they're 20 plus years in their business and they continue to grow. They're buying other, they're buying out other markets. You know, others, uh, others have a shorter term strategy of like five to seven years. Like I'm going to get into this business. I'm going to build it. And from day one, I had the goal of, of selling it for, you know, a nice equity value because I've built a business right. over five to seven years. Um, you know, others, others go into this with the, with the hope and intention of having a family member take the business over. So I, I can't, I can't say there's a typical time frame because it really is all over the board, depending on people's goals. 
Yeah, that's super interesting. And and the way that you were able to pair them, do people just reach out to FranNet um, saying like, hey, I'm looking in this area. And then you like say, well, here's the list of options and do a, like a meeting with them. Can you talk us through how that process works with FranNet? Absolutely. And it's... Um... So, and, and you've brought up geography, and that is a very critical puzzle piece in all of this. So one of the first, right. I have clients all over the country, and the first thing I need to know about them is where do you want to have a business? Is it where you are right now? Yeah. Are you looking to move in six months? Because if you're looking to move in six to 12 months, then we really need to, we need, we need to identify the available options where you're moving in six right. to 12 months. Right. So because franchises are localized businesses and there's usually not an unlimited number of them in a brand. So, you know, they, they, the, the franchise, they may only like it, like in greater Metro Atlanta, a certain brand, they may only want to have 20 locations in greater Atlanta. So as people buy them, buy the licenses for those locations, there's fewer and fewer people that can explore that opportunity in that particular market. So it is one of the first things that, that the responsibility of our role is, is to be very clear on the geographic area where that person plans to be so that we can filter what's available and what is not available in right. and out of their search parameters. Yeah, it seems like the most critical piece at first. Okay. Which you can't tell that online. You know, you can go to websites, but, um, you know, someone may have two weeks ago committed to a 10-unit development schedule in a market, but that's going to take five years to, to execute. So you right. can't necessarily see that on any website. So that, that's where having, I guess I'd call it a pretty robust insider information about what is actually happening with development of these brands right. is where you know, a consultant like myself can be helpful. To people trying to figure out, and then you also have the knowledge about which brands are on the rise, which brands are going down, you know where the trends are. Mm -hmm. um, I, this isn't uh, one of the uh, uh, topics that I had planned on asking, but it's like such in the news right now. Is there very much action right now with franchises doing robotics or AI that you're aware of? It seems like that has to be something that's moving forward. Well, it's certainly in franchise operations. So now, is there? a brand around, you know, chat, um, oh gosh, chat GPS, G chat yeah, GPT. Yeah, GPT yeah. Yes. So, I mean, that's all the rage in franchising right now. Um, in terms of marketing content generation, uh, franchise development, scripting, but that's not, that's in the operations of franchises. Is, is there a, a service out there around that? Not quite because, because that's changing so quickly that you can't, yeah. I mean, what makes, a, what makes growing through franchising work is when it's a pretty stable service that you can create an enduring model. So with IA that's changing every day, you, you know, I, yeah. it would not be appropriate for a company in the AI space to try to use franchising as their growth strategy. That just wouldn't make yeah. sense. Right now it's more of a tool. Yeah, it's a tool. What about robotics? How long do you know how how close we are to a hamburger company being robotic ran or pizza? Yes. Or, I mean, I just feel like there's there's a lot of I'm, there's 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 testing um, there's a, there's testing dominantly in the food service industry where I, I think the future of what that's going to look like is you're going to see really niched down food concepts where they only have a few you know much smaller number of specialized menu items and um, yeah, with all the, the labor challenges, particularly in hospitality industries, there is a right. lot of investment in um, at least in partial human replacement with, with robotics. How far, how far away do you think that is? And what do you think would be the first ones to go? I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm qualified to address that. Quite <laughs> yet. Well, and a lot Appreciate of it is the honest answer. Yeah. Well, because you know, my, my expertise in franchising is in the other half. I, I really don't do a lot of work in the food space. I'm largely right. on the service industry side of things. Um, but we definitely see um, robotics um, and technology education, particularly for kids. There's there's a number of growing franchise brands that are teaching you know, STEAM education to kids of all ages. So that's where I've seen the largest presence 
of that. Yeah, my daughter just did um, ninja coding yeah, or something. Yeah. I think that's mm -hmm. one of the really fast growing yep. ones. Yeah, I can see how that would be. And I hadn't even thought of that as a, as a franchise, yep. but I do remember them saying like, yeah, we're opening like 20 locations in the next month and I was blown away. Yes. So that's where that's where that's like like that would be Code Ninjas or Code Wiz or yes. Challenge Island. Yep. There's a number of different flavors of Steam education and that that's where I would say it's showing up the most right now. Got it. Uh, one of the things we really like to do on this podcast is highlight some of the big challenges that people have gone through in their career. Is there a certain um, either low point in your career that you thought would be good to highlight for the um, for the audience or from one of your franchisees, one of your um, uh, clients that you think is kind of common that would be a pitfall that you think some of the new entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs should look out for? Sure. So I think, well, well I, I shared my story earlier that I, I hit, I mean, some pretty yep. critical burnout walls where I was considering leaving my business about seven, eight years into my business because I, I was, you know, taking on too much myself. And, and that was also a time when, you know, these new tools were starting to come out. When I first started my business, we were faxing documents, you know, with my, on my dial up internet, right? My, my phone <laughs> line. About time consuming. Yes. And so, and there, there was no social media, there was no LinkedIn, there was no Facebook, there was, you know, none of that. And then these, you know, avenues of marketing and communication are rapidly unfolding and you can't just ignore them. So that was a part of that timeline for me as well, is there's all this new stuff that you have to learn and I'm trying to learn it myself and you just, and you just can't. Right. So it goes back to the, That's the um, entrepreneur thought process. I got to learn this myself. I have to become an expert. Um, when you first said the virtual assistant thing, I think something that came into my mind a few years ago when I first heard that, and I think a lot of our audience is dealing with that challenge. It kind of, it sounds like, oh man, like how would I even find a good one? Um, you know, how do you know that you can trust them? Can you go through, talk through your experience a little bit more on that? Who you recommend, who you've used in these uh, companies and um, best practice? So way back when um, I've, I've had the same, I've had the same first virtual assistant that I hired like 15 plus years ago. And I found, and I, and I found her through networking. Like I, I would say if you just start, this is not a hard resource to find. You just start asking people. I mean, you just, you know, who do you know who's in business? You know, ask them about virtual help that they use, how they found it. Um, you know, I'm a member of Entrepreneurs Organization. I've been a member of WPO, Women Presidents Organization. And just in quick conversations with other entrepreneurs, you'll, you'll land on how to find these resources easily. Very cool. If you had to narrow it down to one skill that made you successful, what do you think that would be? I think listening. You know, in, in my world, in my line of work, you know, starting a business is a very exciting um, prospect, but it's also very vulnerable. It's, it's exciting, but it's really scary, especially for folks who've um, never jaunted into this. They've dreamed about it. They have a certain fantasy about it. And um, someone, the responsibility of my role is to be very realistic with people. And so you have to really know how to ask and listen for what people think this is about. And then also have to be you know, very professionally and kindly, but directly, you know, helping people understand that sometimes their picture of entrepreneurship and the reality of entrepreneurship doesn't quite align. So yeah. Little disconnect um, there. Usually. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so, so listening and, and really listening about where people are coming from, what their perceptions are, and, and what they want for their lives. Um, one has to really be able to do that well to be able to advise people appropriately on what they should or shouldn't be considering here. So, I'll just chalk it up to listening. <laughs> That's a great one. I remember back my uh, very first sales training back in college, I remember it. The four words were ask questions and listen as, you know, just the, the basic foundation of successful sales. Um, so that that uh, does give a great insight into how you've had so much success in your long career. Um, so I, I had one that I wanted to, to bring up with you. I recently listened to a well-known real estate investor who's kind of operates in the same world that I do with uh, distressed assets, but offering homeownership opportunities to lower and middle income families across the nation. 
And he was talking, he did a presentation at this trade show and was talking about how he had created this franchise model. And when he was talking about it, um, I had never thought about or dreamed about taking my company and business and making a, a franchise model out of it. Um, I think what you spoke about earlier about how when you think of franchise, you think of fast food. You know, that was kind of how how I had thought had thought about it. And so when he said that, my gears started going and I thought, wow, you could take a real estate investment company and make it a franchise. So what I wanted to ask was, um, you know, I'm sure you have kind of set ways of going about it for, you know, your, your system that has, you know, worked um, as you've been running your company. But for if you were advising me and I'm saying I come to Leslie and I say I want to take our, our real estate company and, and make it a franchise, what would be the first step that you would recommend we take if we were considering that? So I would have some questions for you first and foremost. And I yeah. do get a lot of these calls. I get a lot of, um, I thought you might, you know, calls from entrepreneurs. Well, and to be, and to be very frank, Doug, um, you know, most of the time they're short conversations. There are a lot the, yeah. franchising your business is a very, uh, it is a regulated and expensive undertaking. And mm -hmm. so, um, and, and I'm not saying this is you, but, but a lot of these people who call me, they're looking at franchising as a way of raising money. And that is the mm. exact, exact opposite of what franchising your company really is all about. So the questions I have for entrepreneurs thinking about scaling through franchising is I want to understand their proof of concept. You know, right. how, how long have you had your operation going? Have you, have you already duplicated it in other markets? So it may work well where you are, but is it going to work well in a Midwestern market or a Southern right. market? You know, does it, you know, running a business in a small community may have very different dynamics than trying to run that same business in a larger metropolitan area. And right. so these are the, some of the mistakes that we've seen people made. The entrepreneur, you know, they started their business in a, in a half million population, and then they try to translate that to a 5 million population market. And it's, it's, it's way more expensive to try to do that in a much larger market. So gotcha. I think pr proof of concept and figuring out how your model is going to work in different types and sized markets is really important. That's interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. And also, um, you need to not be running your own business anymore. That is one of the first things that we look at is if you are still running your company, then you are not ready to be a franchisor. Because being mm -hmm. a franchisor is a full-on business, and that needs to be your full-on focus, is, um, is your company that is recruiting, training, and supporting franchisees. So if, you're, so if your company still needs you to be there 40 hours a week, that, that's not going to work. Or 10 hours a week. I mean, you, 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 <laughs> there needs to be, you need to be out of your business. Yeah. And then and then you need to have a war. That's a lot of virtual assistants. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We need a couple more virtual assistants. Yeah. <laughs> and then lastly, you need a war chest of money. It is very expensive to be a franchisor. It's regulated by the Federal Trade Commission. Um, it's getting more regulated to, to be a franchise concept. Um, you the, the cost of recruiting franchisees is a significant expense. You know, your whole friend dev department is a silo in your company. And then you've got your training and your operations and your field support. So, um, you know, the better franchises, they're, they're investing millions into just their franchise operation before they really start recruiting franchise owners. Gotcha. And then are you advising on both sides of it, franchisors and franchisees, or mostly focused on franchisees? I, I'm in my swim lane is working with the franchisees. I know enough to be quite dangerous but there are other <laughs> consulting groups that I refer to right. of, you know, if you're the entrepreneur that wants to see if you can, you know, successfully sell franchises, then I, I punt that to experts in, in that, that, that do that, that that's their business. Smart. That's a great, that was a great question and an even better answer. <laughs> when I saw that, uh, when I saw Doug talking about proposing that question, I was really curious how it was going to go, but that was a really interesting response. I, yeah, I hadn't even thought about all of the different pieces that would go into that and how it's actually a completely different business that you'd be going into 
and and it makes sense how that would be so capital intensive. Right, which is why you know there's there's there is definitely an attrition factor with franchise brands. There there are brands that 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 they start selling franchises, and then they realize, oh, this is a lot more than I thought. This is way more than I anticipated. And they just right. they just stop selling franchises, and if you're a franchisee, you don't want to be a part of that brand. So you've got to <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> take a buyer's beware approach to that. On that point, what would you consider the top three, top five? Um, like you said, since most people are kind of interested in food brands, what what do you think the most the best food brands currently are? Oh goodness. Um, or any of the brands that you deal with. I guess you said you're more on the service side, less on the food side. Which are the ones you think are doing the best and why? It's so hard for me to answer a question like that generally. Like, like there, there's, there's Pride Staff and Express Personnel, which are staffing companies. They're competitors to each other. One's much larger than the other, but they're both having an enormous amount of success because of who they are as companies and the space that they're in. Um, I've always I've always liked the you know basic services that are not necessarily all that sexy, like some of the commercial cleaning. You know, there's nothing sexy, there's nothing fun about that. But the pandemic. But they're always needed. They're, yes, and the pandemic you know opened up all this new opportunity for deep disinfecting, deep cleaning, and government buildings and schools and universities and healthcare facilities. So um, I mentioned the parking lot striping. There's a couple of brands there. Yeah. They're new, but I just think they're fascinating. So they're systematizing a very fragmented market. So right. I, um, I have, I, in, in my role, I also have to be careful to not play favorites. Ah, uh, good point. I put you in a bat, put you, put you in a corner there. All right, let's, let's transition. One more quick question on that point. So how does the franchisee who's coming to you to get started with this, how do they avoid um, you know, one of those those franchisors that's potentially getting out of the game of franchising. Like, what are, are there some red flags or some things that, that you look for to help them look out for? So, I mean, some key things to look at, although there are exceptions to what I'm about to say to you. So there's a lot of very young franchises out there. I mean, where you, you could be like one of the first, you know, couple of franchises out there. Um, and, you know, that can be a great opportunity, but there's just inherently a lot more risk with that. So, so one way to um, filter that is you may want to put more of your attention onto franchise brands that have more of a history behind them, that have franchisees who've been out there in business for five plus years. There's more of a history and more of a track record there. The other side of that, though, is those more mature brands they may not have any available open territory where you live or where you right. want to have the business. So that's actually one of the most common reasons why people look at young emerging brands is because, because the alternatives, there is no availability for, for those brands. So you try to balance that upside with risk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you want to look at where is the, where is the franchise's capital source? You know, do they have enough money? And this is um, where the federal trade commission does help us out somewhat that the FTC requires that all franchises create disclosure documents. So, and, and by law, I have to receive a brand's disclosure document at least 14 days in advance of me signing any contracts with them. And in this- So it's kind of like an open balance sheet yes. to let you know how healthy they are. Yeah. You get, you get a good sense of, you know, the, uh, um, Franchisors have to have their corporate financials audited by a third-party auditor. So you can get a sense of their capitalization. And it's questions you want to ask is, where's the money coming from to support your franchising right. efforts? And, um, and so that, that would, that, that's something that I advise. I mean, any of the franchises that I'm working with, we've done some vetting ourselves and feel you know, good that they're a stable organization. But still, it's, it's a question that any prospective franchisee should be asking. Gotcha. A little bit more big picture question here. Entrepreneurship means so many different things to so many different people. Can you define it for you? What does entrepreneurship mean? Freedom. Creative freedom. You know, lifestyle freedom. And that's not to say that, I mean, I don't work a lot because I do. I, lo I love to work. And it feels a lot different when you love what you're doing. But um, I I'm the one who dictates my own schedule. 
And, and that's probably the biggest, the, the biggest benefit for me is I am in control of my time. I am in control of my calendar. I don't have anybody else telling me how much vacation I can take or asking permission for when I'm going to take it. And that's a beautiful thing. So I love that. That's a really good response. The freedom, the, the freedom aspect that, that you can enjoy when, when, you, when you're your own boss. We're right there with you. I can't see myself ever going back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, you still end up working a lot. That's not the, really the reason that you should be getting into it, but you're working for yourself. You're the one that's getting the equity and you're able to decide yeah. when you want to yeah. be working. I yeah. think those are all such critical, critical pieces. What was the, um, did you ever receive any advice that really impacted your life or was there any advice that you think um, th that most people should hear when they're talking about being an entrepreneur? So I remember this very viscerally. I was on an airplane and I was reading um, Cheryl Betchalder's book and I can't remember the um, name of the book, but she, she used to be the CEO of Popeye's Chicken and, and, she, and she wrote a book about servant leadership and you know, she was talking about her story and how, how, you know, they really transformed the whole Popeye's organization. And there was this one line in her book, and, and I, I'm not quoting it exactly correct, but the message of it was, you know, being hyper-focused on efficiency can kill relationships. And I, I was just at a point in my business where I needed to hear that. Like, I, I needed that message that, because I'm I'm a productivity geek, I'm an efficiency geek. I just love that love that stuff. But taken too far, you know, it it, it can poison relationships with the, the people that you need around you. And so I think personally, personally and professionally, that was what I needed to hear. And I've never forgotten. This was years ago, and I've never forgotten that how you know you're only as good as as the people helping you, and and you have to really give um, attention and nurturing to relationships. I love that. Yeah, that, that actually just hearing you talk about it really resonates with me. I was kind of putting myself, I started initially in, in hotel background, super corporate with Starwood Marriott. Um, but when I went off and worked for an independent hotel company, um, I was bringing to the table kind of that same regimented, strict, rigid um, productivity expecting um, number one, I was living on a Caribbean island, so that kind of changed things a lot from working in New York or Miami <laughs> or LA. But yeah, hearing you say that, I had a, a friend who was one of my managers that taught me that through showing me like how I needed to be different on this island and be you know more aware of you know how things need to change and evolve based on your surroundings. And that changed my life after that point on how I manage all people after that. Um, sort of really creating a family and a culture and how that can really make their productivity increase long-term because you trust each other more, you're taking better care of each other, you're not holding them to these ridiculous standards that really don't mean that much except for to this top corporate company. So so yeah, that was a really, really impactful um, uh, quote that you just pulled out of that book that also meant a lot in my life in a different way. So thank you for sharing that. You bet. Highly recommend. I highly recommend her book. <laughs> and the Popeye CEO. That's yeah. super interesting. I love that. Um, the one other question that I really wanted to get to you before we finish was, what is it that you think is the most misunderstood thing about franchises? I, I think it's it's just the span of choices out there. It's what we talked about earlier. People think it's all restaurants and food, but there's this beautiful, diverse world of opportunities in education and healthcare in business services, in home services, um, personal services. So I, I think I think franchising just gets bypassed as an opportunity because people do are not aware of what the breadth of choices are. And I would also say I think I mean I think there's largely um, a perception out there that well if I own a franchise I'm really just kind of an employee of the franchisor. I don't have any, you know, room for creativity. And I would have to say the opposite is very true of that. I mean, yes, there are certain standards and you know, things that have to be complied with, but all franchises, every franchise out there is a company. They have to evolve in order to stay current and competitive. And that requires ongoing innovation, ongoing creativity. And that is largely a collaborative effort between the franchisor and the franchisees. So. 
So I, I just find there, it's just a framework in which people can continue to be innovative and creative in their business. Awesome. Those are really good points. I, yeah, I think that that demystified a little bit of it also for me, because I do think that kind of it would put you into a little of a box, but that does make sense that the franchisor would be really interested in innovation and changing. And so feedback and movement forward would be critical. I, it, it kind of personifies the entire podcast for me, because I think this was probably the most interesting podcast personally for me, because I knew so little about the subject and you've like added so much color and facts and details to where I'm leaving this podcast now really like feeling like I have a much better understanding of a huge piece of business that I literally had no experience about. So we really, really appreciate it. Oh, good. I've done my job. Today. So I feel proud yeah. of yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I have to come learn a few things today. My pleasure. If people want to reach out to you, talk to you, learn more, learn more about you, where would you send them? I would love for um, connect with me on my LinkedIn profile. LinkedIn is kind of my main channel. I use it all the time, every day. My name is Leslie Cuban. That's Cuban with a K, K-U-B-A-N. I'm pretty sure I'm the only one out there. So I'm pretty easy to find. Lucky you. Uh, cool. Well, I'll send people to LinkedIn, checked out Leslie Cuban with a K. And the last question that we always like to add, is there any tools, resources, books, podcasts that you love that you think would be valuable for entrepreneurs to listen to? So, so I have a favorite new book. It's called The Wealthy Franchisee. It's, uh, the author is Scott Greenberg, and it's a fairly recent publication. It references the pandemic. So it's been published since you know COVID joined the, the party here. And I think he just... He yeah. just he was a very successful edible arrangements, multi-unit franchisee, and he just nails it. He's right in the bullseye as to why some franchisees are superstars, extremely successful, and then others are not, even though they're in the same franchise, the same brand, the same training, some people rock it and some people are scratching their heads trying to figure it out. So I, I, he, he really um, describes the, it's a mindset book. Really, and so I think any entrepreneur or, or or potential entrepreneur could benefit from reading his book, whether or not they're interested in franchising. That's my top one. Awesome, awesome, great recommendation. Thank you so much for your time, Leslie. This was just a fantastic podcast. I think so many people are going to really find it interesting. Well, I sure hope so, and I really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leslie. Appreciate you. Doug and I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. We value your time, and our goal is to provide you with the best information possible. If you enjoy this podcast, the best way to support us is to take a second right now to like, subscribe, and follow us on all our socials. Also, we know you have an aspiring entrepreneur in your life. Please share your favorite episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast with them. Thank you so much.